So the impact that you can drive with notifications uh, is reach times relevance times frequency. What we learned from the time at SoundCloud was not all notifications are equal. And the really killer ones that are going to really supercharge your business have high reach, high relevance, and high frequency. And then, then you're in that, that, that golden um, quadrant. Hey, you're listening to the SubClub podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the SubClub podcast. I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me as always, Jacob Eiding. Hello, Jacob. Hi, David. It's uh, thundering in your neck of the woods, I hear. Uh, it's You know, it's clearing up now. I think we're going to make it. Uh, Good. So. <laughs> I've got a plumber. Our guest <laughs> might have some construction workers. It's going to be a, a fun one today. <laughs> David, you're preaching the magic of podcasting, and it's going to get all edited <laughs> out, so... <laughs> All right. Speaking of our guest, uh, our guest today is Andy Carvel, partner and co-founder of Feature, a mobile growth agency. At Feature, Andy has worked with some of the biggest apps on the App Store, including Headspace, Spotify, Triller, and Visco. Prior to find, founding Feature, Andy worked on the marketing and growth teams at SoundCloud. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thanks, David. Uh, real pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, excited to be here. Yeah, so um, so as you and I were chatting a little bit about your background um, as I was kind of prepping your bio, and you shared a really fun anecdote. So I think I'm like old man in the mobile space, you know, or Jacob and I both, like we both had apps on the App Store in 2008, you know, we were early, but you started in mobile a little, just a, just a few years before that. So um, just a little bit more. Tell us about that. You were at Nokia making games in like, 1999. Yeah, right out of uh, um, university, I, I graduated computer science in 99. Um, and I, you know, I always wanted to be making games. Uh, and I was applying for roles in, in the games industry. And then the agent that was kind of helping me find those um, said, hey, there's this company, Nokia, they, they make mobile phones. Uh, I didn't own a mobile phone at that point. None of my friends did, but it was just kind of reaching the tipping point. And uh, He's like, yeah, they want to put games on these things. And I'm like, okay, that <laughs> sounds interesting. Um, and yeah, it was actually like, I went along for the interview. I really got along, was very kind of amazed at the, you know, the R&D center there. It was like, like pretty space age, you know, they were working on some real next level shit. And um, I was actually pretty excited by the idea of like cramming, a, you know, decent games into like 16 kilobytes, which is what I had to play with <laughs> building embedded games. <laughs> On uh, you know, on a black and white eighty-four by forty-eight pixel display. So that's that's what I was gonna ask. Are we talking like Snake, or are we talking like Java level stuff? Uh, it was pre-Java. It was uh, embedded games. I was coding in C and assembly, um, and I basically wow. had to like build the whole game from start to finish. We had a shared designer uh, who did the pixel art, um, and I had to you know cram it into sixteen K and make it fun. Yeah, I wrote a, wrote a game called Space Impact there, which was released on the thirty-three ten phone, which I think wasn't available in America, but rest of world, um, a lot of people played that game. It was like the first uh, side-scrolling arcade shoot 'em up on a mobile phone. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible just to even think like the iPhone wasn't that far behind that, right? Like you were doing 16K assembly in C and like eight years later, we were gonna have like OpenGL driven, yeah, games, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's moved on a lot. 
So after um, Nokia, you spent some time at um, SoundCloud, and there's a couple of things you did at SoundCloud that I, I wanted to dig into because I, it, it seems like you've kind of continued that work at Feature, um, and it's really relevant to our audience in subscriptions. Um, so, so, so one of those is the mobile lifecycle program, and this is something I think so much about. It's just there, there is such a huge story that's that that's hard to tell and hard to really understand. It's something like, you know, I, I think we can help with at Revenue Cat that I'm constantly thinking of from a product perspective. Um, and, and I think developers often, it's like you just, you, you get an install, you get them to start a free trial and they convert. And like, but there's so many other journeys and so many parts of the life cycle that, um, that need to be studied. So t tell me about this mobile lifecycle program, kind of the origins and then, you know, how you see it today. Yeah. Um, so what I, yeah, I was at SoundCloud for about four and a half years in the end. Um, I was working on, you know, various teams, but ended up actually building out a cross-functional uh, team focused on user retention, uh, which is where I got really into the lifecycle topic. Um, and yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a pretty complex topic. It's one that we've, continued to you know develop processes and and um, you know best practice around a feature where we're helping companies like Visco and uh, yeah uh, blinkist actually is, a, is another one that we're working with uh, recently but yeah everybody seems to struggle with this because it is such a a giant topic as you say David um, there's a lot to it there's a lot of different touch points you can have with the user and it all comes starts with understanding the user journey right and, and understanding understanding users probably better than you currently do. And, and that for me always starts with asking them questions rather than diving straight into the analytics and looking at funnels. Uh, I think it's something that's really overlooked in, in tech companies. You know, we have all this data available. And so the, the instinct is just to dive in and look at the numbers. Now, I think quant tells a very interesting story and for sure, you need to be tracking what, what users are doing to, to understand those user journeys quantitatively, but you also want to understand the psychology of the user at these, these different points, right? And what, what are they thinking? What are they hoping for? What are they expecting? Um, and, you know, I think uh, a great lifecycle program from, you know, actually user lifecycle starts outside of the store, right? You uh, Outside of the, the app, yeah. rather. So it starts, starts yeah. in the stores. Starts with a need, right? Or a want. Yes, yeah. it starts with a need or a want. Um, and then, you know, the, hopefully the somehow the user discovers the app it's either through an advert or maybe a friend has mentioned it or you know there can be many ways that they come to the app stores but then you know they're all going to go through that app store which is why the feature we also put a lot of work into app store optimization with our clients you know you start the user journey there you're setting the expectation uh in your ad creative and in your app store page it's a great opportunity to to sell the benefits of the app and and qualify your users, you know, well, because you're you're really then, you know, setting setting that expectation, uh, which you then need to deliver on in the very first session in the app. So then you get into onboarding and activation, and uh, you know that can be both within the product, but also augmented by a multi-channel messaging approach, which is we did a lot of work with that at SoundCloud, um, because this is like for me, this is the kind of the hack, right? The magic bullet is that not that not that CRM is the most effective lever for for engaging users. Actually, that's product, uh, but CRM is a great way to 
circumvent a six-month product backlog, um, an yeah. engineering backlog, <laughs> and, and 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 rapidly iterate on ideas. And and also, it's got built-in measurement and and segmentation, so you can do some really interesting stuff. Sorry, you had a so, question there. Yeah. So when you say CRM, I mean, I, like I know CRM is like in my world, Salesforce or maybe Intercom or something. <laughs> like this, but when I've heard I've heard this used in the marketing world, but what is what is the more? Seems like there's a more broad context uh, or a broad definition of that term yeah and there's so many different terminology and definitions around it's it's uh it's very confusing as with everything in tech but <laughs> um yeah so when i say crm you know which is customer relationship management and and that goes back you know to the 60s and 70s you know classic business um you know theory actually it's nothing new that we've invented it just with tech but uh when i'm talking about crm in a mobile app scenario uh, I'm talking about leveraging a customer engagement platform like Braze or Leanplum or um, Iterable, maybe. And uh, you know, the, it's typically what you've got available in that kind of stack would be uh, some sort of rudimentary analytics enough to do sort of targeting and triggering of messages, as well as some basic measurement around like what the effects of those messages are. Although typically you'd want to pair that with your your product analytics to get a deeper view on how it's affecting retention or you know or, or monetization for that matter, um, but yeah, you're able to sort of you know carve out segments of users and then craft uh, interactions. So so the, the tools you mentioned there, Salesforce and Intercom, definitely still in that mix. We don't we mm -hmm. don't see them so much, particularly Salesforce. We see it more in enterprise, yeah. uh, sure, most, yeah, yeah. mostly around mostly around email as a channel. Um, but you know the sort of more modern or mobile-first platforms, uh, you know, such as Braze, for example, um, you know, really kind of built to leverage um, mobile-specific channels like uh, push and rich push, um, in mobile in-app messaging, which is a killer channel for engaging users who are in the app, and it's where it kind of bridges the gap between classic product and classic marketing because you can really kind of overlay and augment new experiences on top of what's what's built in the product, um, which sometimes causes some tension with uh, with the designers, but, uh, <laughs> but actually you can make them look, you can make them look super native. Um, and and yeah, you can test and iterate on them quickly, which is the, the real benefit, I think, of using a, a platform like that is you can, if you're testing on onboarding, for example, and you're looking at day zero users, you've got a fresh cohort every day. You can run, you know, if you've got enough, yeah, big enough cohorts, you can, you can iterate every day if you want, or at yeah. least every couple of days. And you know, you know you as long as you're to, getting a few thousand downloads, right? Or, you know, or even like even hundreds, right? If you're getting hundreds of downloads, like those are significant enough cohorts, especially if you're running, you know, tasks vary towards that very beginning of the experience, right? So you get like lots of exposure. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and then it's typically very high leverage too, right? Because we found this at Elevate a lot, um, just in the nature of funnels, is that <laughs> there were all these like tests and kind of experiments we wanted to do further down the funnel. Like, oh, how is like the last step look and all this stuff. And it turns out nine times out of 10, it was not really that important because what really mattered was the first step or the second step, because that's just where the most people were, right? It, it didn't matter. We could get half the lift there, but it mattered more because they hadn't decayed all the way through the funnel, right? Which is, there's a lot of these like unintuitive aspects of, yeah, I mm -hmm. guess when you think about a CRM, it's like, the pre-experience, finding you, getting into the app, re-engaging, right? That are in some ways like they there's an overlapping 
piece with products, right? But it's broader, right? It exists like sort of outside of the the, the specific software itself, um, and and yeah, thinking about it holistically is yeah. As David was saying earlier, it's difficult, right? It's difficult because of the time based yeah. aspects. It's difficult because it's multi platform. It's difficult because, you know, I think the tooling still leaves something to be desired. Um, but but uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting to 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 talk about using user interviews in that process because um, you traditionally think about doing that in a product process, right? When you're like trying to talk to users about what to build, but you actually need to be talking to them about how, how do they, what do they want? Like, why do they, why are they here? Like why to, to inform like, you know, how you're contacting them, communicating with them, et cetera. Very much so. Yeah. And then, so, so part of that um, lifecycle management is this multi-channel notification systems. And you've kind of already mentioned that a little bit, but um, so in mobile apps, you know, and, and the clients that you're working with at Fisher feature, and then some of the work you've done, you did previously at SoundCloud. Um, how do you kind of manage the, the breadth of available channels? Now you've got email, you've got in-app, you've got push, um, you know, and, and have you seen kind of patterns in, in certain channels performing better with these kind of mobile audiences? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think to some extent it, it depends on the, the, the app itself and the audience for that app. Um, you know, we still see SMS, for example, being a really impactful channel in, in some specific categories. Like, um, you know, SoundCloud wouldn't send SMS. I think it would be a bad idea. Possibly in some markets, you know, maybe that are slightly less developed, they have older phones, but I'd say it's probably not a great channel for SoundCloud, for example. But, um, you know, we, uh, we did some work with, uh, with GoodRx, which is a, uh, like a, a prescription uh, discount service in America. It's, it's huge. I think they, uh, yeah, I think they might have IPO'd recently. But uh, yeah, in any case, SMS is still a huge channel for them um, because they're, you know, a lot of their customers are older people, people with, um, you know, with, who are not necessarily engaging with, with emails or, or necessarily in-app messages. I mean, I think in-app is generally a pretty great channel for anyone who's in the app, but actually with some, some apps, it's not a very valuable channel at all because the user's barely in the app. If you're if thinking about sort of very functional experiences, like yeah. uh, I'd say Uber, Uber is, a, is a good example. Like there's definitely some room there to even with mobility startups to interact with users while they're in the app, but you don't want to get in their way because they're there to book a ride <laughs> and, and get in it. So you have like limited mm -hmm. surface area. So yeah, really, uh, you know, when we go in as feature, you know, our retention team goes into to build out a an engagement strategy with a customer. We very much like to to understand not just their users, but also you know figure out what is the right channel mix that makes sense. We actually put out a, I think a while back a a matrix which kind of highlights the pros and cons of each channel and, and how they can be used in combination. Maybe uh, I can I can dig out the link and, and we can include it in the podcast. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I, <clears throat> I, I, I feel like I see all these like threads on Twitter about like, especially from like the kind of indie developer scene about like, you know, don't, you know, do a newsletter, like email is evil. And like, and then I'm always the one that's like, I kind of like newsletters, like as long as it's not like overly aggressive. Um, and then same with SMS. I found myself lately uh, just ended up with a couple of apps, uh, like a Thrive Market. It's like a, a, a shopping, um, it's kind of like Amazon uh, grocery-ish kind of stuff. 
and they're texting me and I kind of like it. And I never would have thought, you know, cause like they're pushing notifications, they just get lost. But like, I care about when my order ships and I care. And so it's interesting how I think, you know, sometimes we in tech underestimate that when somebody really cares about something, they don't mind getting notified about it. But that's where you have to like, be really careful of where you draw these lines and how you do your messaging and what the user really cares enough about. But when they do, you know, you, you know, it's always felt to me as a developer, like, oh, SMS is like, it's just off the table. Like I wouldn't touch that. But then like now I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like if it's something a user really cares about, like it's a viable platform Certainly as a consumer. I've been enjoying stuff, it. Right. Like your ship yeah. order shipped and things like that. And then, you know, it becomes something you can piggyback marketing messaging or expansion or product marketing onto, right? Um, but I, I was, I was, that, that point is super valid, David, across you, Twitter, you as your Twitter is not real life, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's totally true that like the developers and the communities and the styles that we have often as people who make software and are insiders is very different from the the median consumer, which is not right. even a thing. There is no median consumer, right? You're dealing with this huge distribution of users and different. They have different tastes and they have different um, appetites for 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 marketing and all this stuff. And yeah, I always believe give them control, like obviously don't do anything on tour. Don't message people if they say not to, right. And give people like an opt in opt out, like, as, you know, as clear uh, choice in the onboarding funnel, but yeah, you'd be surprised. Like people don't have as much stuff going on sometimes or have <laughs> yeah. as much noise in their, in their feed and they might really want to engage. And those are the users that you really should be reaching, right? Because they are like, yeah. they're, they're not only installing your app, but they're willing to show some intent to engage with you, right? Because they, they have a real purpose to be there, right? As opposed yeah. to like a drive-by or something like this. Right. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, that advice goes beyond just this one particular topic. <laughs> yeah. Cause like we, yeah, we hear developers all the time, like being like, Oh, I don't want to touch. I mean, I even remember me going back to elevate again, being when we started to, we hired a growth marketer and started to work some of these no notification channels. I was very against it. Like I thought this was like disrespectful to our users. It was just growth hacking. It was whatever. Then I saw the numbers, right? Like, I don't know. The retention <laughs> didn't go down. All the other numbers went up. I was like, well, I guess people won't care, right? Or at least like the people that don't care aren't big enough to matter. I mean, they matter, but like, I don't know, I'm building a business here at some point, right? So um, it's counterintuitive. This goes to your earlier point though, and I was just gonna bring up is 12 South. I just bought this Forte stand thing. That's like one of my favorite products I bought in a long time. It's amazing. It's like wireless charging for my phone. I can drop my AirPods Pro on there and it charges. A little ad for them real quick. But I went to unsubscribe to their email because they were sending me like two a week. I was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to unsubscribe because I actually like 12 South. Like they make good products. I love this product I just bought from them. I want to know what they're up to. So I go to unsubscribe because I was like, oh, I just can't, I can't do two emails a week from these people. And then the, the email thing was like, hey, do you want to just hear from us, you know, twice a week, uh, once a week or once a month? I was like, once a month. Cool. Like, I'd love to hear from them once a month. I wish more newsletters would do that. And the opposite, I, I, I subscribe to KiwiCo boxes for my kids and they email me like four times a week. 
And I've even talked to their Twitter team and they're like, we're going to put you on the like slow thing. And they don't. And I keep getting four emails a week. So I'm just going to unsubscribe. <laughs> well, it's a lot, so it's think, a lot to build that in, right? Like it's a lot to like, we're talking about, I'm sure Andy, you deal with this all the time. Like just getting that first version of like a marketing product marketing campaign yeah. <laughs> going. For sure. It's hard to add in like, well, okay, you'll have the the, the one month and the, th you know, it's, it, it takes time to build those things up. So it doesn't surprise me, but it is interesting that, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to, to well, it's a tough choice as product builders, right? We always have to decide like, what are the corners we're going to cut? What are the, like the boxes we're going to shove everybody in, right? Because we're not gonna be able to like perfectly meet everybody's like appetite for this stuff at where they are, right? That's going to be impossible. Um, and so, I mean, I feel like that's where the measurement comes in, right, Andy? Yeah, so you've touched on so many interesting points that I know we don't have uh, two hours to discuss them all, but I would love to just quickly pick up on a couple um, before we, we get on to, to measurement and, and personalization. I think it's all going to flow. So uh, first point, um, you mentioned like, you know, developers being maybe not the target audience for the app. That is so true. And I mean, unless, <laughs> unless you get GitHub, you know, for, for sure. But, um, you know, for the vast majority of like consumer apps that are targeting essentially, you know, global audiences of more or less like, you know, broad audiences, like, you know, I don't know, 18 to, to 30 males and females or whatever, who are into a particular sport or something like this. These people are not, they're not engineers. They, they don't hate notifications. And, <laughs> you know, the only way you can prove that as a growth marketer is by, getting a little bit of surface area where you're allowed to run experiments um or as as, as we as my team did in uh in uh at soundcloud in the early days we would run them in places like pakistan we would just um soundcloud's gonna kill me when they hear this but you know we would just like <laughs> just just not send them and to berlin you know where all the engineers were based <laughs> but uh we test them in the rest of the world or if it was particularly something like a bit more daring a bit more bold and you need to run bold experiments sometimes we would run them in pakistan we'd get a good feel for like you know what the uplift was and then we'd take it to the lawyers because sometimes there was you know there were also even legal issues about where we could tread the line with user-generated content and promotion. Um, music licensing is a minefield. But uh, but yeah, my mm -hmm. point is, it's only when you can kind of come back with data and show it to you know the exec team and say, look, we just moved retention five percentage points. This is huge. Um, then they kind of give you a bit more leeway to to send a few <laughs> more notifications. Um, and yeah. yeah, like the. The, but you know, we had so much resistance from from the tech team, and you know, the engineers were like convinced we were going to destroy the product. And it comes from a very very good place. You know, they care about the product, they care about the users. They just they just are not representative of the users. Um, and that comes to my second point, which is uh, I learned a lot from my time at SoundCloud and from building out a, a real time notification system that was um, you know from uh, was kicking out around 500 million push notifications per month. So, so you know, we, we got there in the end with the, with the volume. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things which I kind of distilled later when I was at Feature, I kind of you know, thought back to that time and distilled it into a formula. Um, so the impact that you can drive with notifications uh, is reach times relevance times frequency. And I'll just break that down very quickly. So reach, we're talking about you know, your overall channel opt-in rate. So how many people are actually opted in for push or in this case. Um, and also like what, 
if you're segmenting that 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 whole uh, audience, then what stage of the funnel they're at, which was to David's point earlier about how you have a you know greater surface area or greater reach, as I would put it, um, earlier on in the funnel because more users are still around. So that's um, yeah, so that's your reach, uh, and that's a it's a big lever on on how much impact you're going to drive with any particular notification is that is your size of your target audience that's addressable. Uh, second one, relevance, which you've also touched on. Uh, in your examples there, um, if it's highly relevant, users will tolerate, not just tolerate, but actually welcome a high volume of notifications, which is the, the, the third um, parameter there in that formula, the, th the third variable, which is frequency. Um, how frequently can you send this particular notification before people start to opt out and then it like brings your reach down? So it's basically like, a, it's, it's not a seesaw because there's three elements to it, right? But it's some kind of 3D seesaw. Um, where if you get the right balance and you're able to tweak tweak those things, there's a tension between those three variables, right? But if you're able to increase relevance by by personalization, um, you know, by providing in SoundCloud's case more relevant recommendations for content, or uh, looking at what users have listened to before and and telling them more things about artists that they've been listening to and things like that, that would increase the relevance, which means you can proxy that by click-through rate. Uh, they're much less likely to turn them off and you can send more of those notifications. You can increase that frequency. And so what I learned from that, what we learned from the time at SoundCloud was not all notifications are equal and the really killer ones that are going to really supercharge your business have high reach, high relevance and high frequency. And then, then you're in that, that, that golden um, quadrant. I would imagine, I don't know if you, if y'all have built things out internally to, to feature, but I imagine that kind of 3D seesaw is really hard to measure. It's really hard to understand which which ones are driving relevance, which ones, and especially once you get into personalization, where now you're not dealing with just massive A/B tests. You're actually like almost doing uh, user level uh, understanding of what's relevant and what's not. So, <clears throat> so it brings us to the to the next big topic, and, and we can kind of dive into that aspect of it later. But you got to build out a stack for this. And so, and this is something I, mm. I, you've done a great job of, of kind of boiling a lot of this down into the, the mobile growth stack. And I wanted to talk through a few kind of levels of the mobile growth stack. So uh, a lot of apps, you know, and I talk as a developer advocate, I talk to a ton of revenue cat customers. So a lot of apps all the way from like, you know, hey, we just have an idea. We're, we're like thinking about subscriptions to indies to like huge companies. And, um, but you have a lot of people super early who are kind of overbuilding and then you have people in the middle, like, what do I do next? So let's talk through kind of uh, a stack for, for your MVP and then on to your kind of intermediate and then to your kind of growth stage. Like what's the like MVP, I wanna get this out, but I wanna have just enough, you know, measurement, just enough analytics, just enough data to, to start growing this thing. Yeah, great question, and and um, yeah, it's a it's a really good topic actually because you know this mobile growth stack framework which uh, which which I published originally at SoundCloud and, and we continue to develop a feature, you know it's it's huge. There's loads of stuff on there. It's basically trying to encapsulate everything that you know could form part of your marketing strategy and your your growth approach to growing growing a mobile app. So sometimes people misinterpret that as, oh, I have to do all of these things. I have to tick all of these boxes right. in order to be successful. 
Uh, no, absolutely not. Like, you know, you have to play to your strengths and also to your to your company stage and your your priorities, right? And and for sure, if you try to overreach, you try to do everything, you're going to do it all really badly, or at least most things. Um, so much better to focus. And uh, yeah, I think this could be another good uh, blog post, actually, that I should write. But, um, yeah. but yeah, let's let's dive into it now. And let's, let's have a go. So like, early stage, right, pre launch, or well, let's, let's skip pre launch for a second. Let's say you've just launched into the market uh, with your, you know, with your new app. Uh, I think what I see often is a, a challenge with early stage customers. And, and frankly, why we, we don't work with super early stage customers of feature is they have unrealistic expectations. They, they think they're ready for hyper growth. Um, but in, right. you know, except in, except in absolutely like, you know, standout anomalous cases, like maybe Flappy Bird would be a good example, uh, that, that was ready for hyper growth pretty much from day one, I think just, just happened to catch the zeitgeist, but you know, you can't bank on that. And most 99.9% .9 of apps will not have that kind of success. So actually what an early stage app team needs to work on is product market fit, whether they, whether they think they right. do or not. They're probably two, <laughs> two or three years away from market product market fit. That means they need to iterate on the product and they need to iterate on the marketing and, and you know, meet there somewhere in the middle with some level of, um, you know, kind of a, a retention curve that flattens out at least somewhere along that curve. I was thinking about this, this, this product market fit meaning, and I don't know, it's one of these words that it's, 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 it's constantly an enigma to founders and because nobody can tell you what it is, right? Uh, I think because it's different for every product, it's different for every segment, it's different for every market, like what it actually looks like. In our, in this space, mm -hmm. in consumer subscription space, it, it generally has to do with, uh, yeah, the I think that's the be best, a very good definition of it. The retention curves that do flatten out because like you don't get, in this space, you don't tend to get like expensive like super stable user cohorts. They always like drop off to some level, but you want to see like some reasonable level out in some like shortish period of time, which takes a while with subscription mm -hmm. apps to really understand like two, three, four, five, six months or like for the annual renewals, it takes a year to really understand it. Um, but focusing on the product first, yeah, is really what you need to do at Elevate. We actually, before we even launched and we weren't subscription when we launched, but we, we had, uh, uh, and just an, and or yeah, we just released on, um, Android. So we had an Android app. We could, it was great cause we could release a new version every week, um, and to a beta list and we could, we, we, we curated a list or it was, sorry, it was Android and iOS and we used like test flight uh, distributions, but, um, and we measured each cohort, right. And it's not talking about, we weren't AB testing. We weren't like driving in massive downloads or anything like this, but we were just looking like each like sub subsequent cohort, like what was their first, like 10, you know, what were these, like how many signed up, how many finished, like activated. And, and we just mm -hmm. watched and like watched, we iterated on the app until we felt like that number was pretty good. And then we launched, but it, we didn't do A-B testing. We didn't like massively like go over the top in tracking, right? It was just like a handful of like really mm -hmm. things. Cause the thing is you're gonna screw it up, right? Like <laughs> A-B testing is really hard. It's expensive, not because of yep. the tooling, it's expensive because operationally it's really difficult to get right and you gotta put a lot of people on it. So um, that, mm -hmm. that really starting simple mentality will save you a lot of headaches, I think. Yeah, we had a great episode with uh, Darius Mora from Reflectly on this about just just that minimally viable like shoot for product market fit and you know don't do sophisticated A/B testing, don't do all the stuff you think you need to do, and then even some of the stuff that you, they you know you could install Braze or like try and do these big things early. 
you can find ways around it. Like you can do simple email surveys. You can do simple user testing. You can, you can, you know, use Zapier for things to kind of like bridge the gap and don't go build a ton of internal tooling around it, but like do the simple hacky things that don't scale early on and then move on. So then let's talk about like, okay, you've reached some level of market product market fit, you know, your, um, you know, your, your marketing seems to be resonating. You've got some decent retention and you're starting mm. to really pour money into user acquisition. What's kind of that next level up, um, that you think companies should start layering on new, new services and new sophistication? Yeah. So, and I'm talking here like primarily about, you know, growth stuff rather than feature building. I'm kind of assuming that right. there's there's always more features to build, although you know I would actually say probably people generally keep building features when they should probably stop. They always think like another feature is going to be the thing which really helps. Where, Marginal, right? Right, exactly, and it can actually be detrimental at, at, to a point, you know, like when when it becomes too crowded. So, um, but yeah, so talking about the you know the the growth stack and the the, the growth activities that would be appropriate. As, as you've got that initial traction and you're looking to scale it, which is where feature can get involved, by the way. Like this, typically we work with either kind of traction and growth stage companies or actually more mature kind of increasingly like enterprise folks who maybe have a very mature product in the market and they're, look, they're kind of plateaued and they're looking to, to scale it. But yeah, in, in, in that growth phase, um, super exciting phase, um, there I think it's really about, you know, you want to be able to start to scale. So that's... You're going to need to upgrade your analytics probably and start tracking more stuff to get a better understanding of, you know, deeper understanding of, of your engagement, your retention, and for sure, the performance of your acquisition channels, whether they're, whether they're organic, uh, paid or, or some mixture, uh, because you're likely to want to start adding, layering in more acquisition, either scaling the channels that are working for you or when they max out or start getting expensive, you know, layering in other channels. Um, I would also recommend like, you know, I wouldn't build it right at the start, but in this growth phase, it's good to experiment with virality. Like, you know, I always say it's, you can't really plan for virality, but you can at least sow the seeds and see if they germinate, right? Like yeah. you, if you don't cultivate the right conditions for virality to occur, it never will. Um, but if you, you know, if you have like, you know, the ability to share content, if it's a content app, if, if you put those share features in, then at least you can kind of see what the kind of natural pre um, predilection of, of users is to, to share to their users, uh, to share to their friends, for example, their networks. And then you, if you see some, some traction there, you can, you can optimize it. But even if it's just doing it a little bit, it maybe it's helping to keep your paid acquisition costs down and you know, your blended acquisition costs go, you know, is a bit, a bit more sustainable. Uh, and maybe you see that actually you go super viral. Uh, you know, I've seen it happen. So I say like, you know, build in, potentially referral systems or content shares, depends on, on your app. But I'd say if, you know, do them in a fairly cheap way, but just at least at least put those in and, and see if that, you know, is gonna be something that's gonna help you grow. Because if you find that it is, for SoundCloud, virality was huge, you know? So, um, but of course, this, it, it, it works better with, with social apps and, and content apps. Um, yeah, apart from that, uh, you know, I'd say like, you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna be continuing to iterate on the product I'd say ASO becomes more important at this point. Like, so optimizing your app store page for, um, you know, for organic discovery, making sure that you're ranking for the right keywords, 
in, and, and also start to think about international. Um, I think a lot of companies focus on their, their core market and the one that they know best, which is often, you know, mm. US or, you know, whatever country that, you know, the team is based in, they often start there and they know that market best. But, you know, I think one of the things which, for going back again to SoundCloud, one of the things they did very well was, you know, even though they were, they were headquartered in Berlin, they didn't have this German outlook. Actually, the, the, the founders were not even from Germany and they built it global <laughs> from the start, you know, so they, they basically, it was available everywhere. Uh, you know, when I came in to, to help them level up on, on mobile, you know, we made sure that we translated the App Store page into all the languages. When I came in, it was just in English. Uh, but even English is a good start compared to, you know, most other languages. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, pretty, I'd say at this growth stage, you want to see, it's about exploring. You don't necessarily know where those big levers are for scale yet, but it's about discovering right. them. So maybe, mm. maybe it's virality. Maybe, maybe there's a market that you're not localized in yet, which could be, you just, you just catch fire in that market, you know? So it's not about doing huge international launches and, and doing a huge, you know, traditional kind of PR push in, in, you know, launching in US or whatever, but, you know, at least make sure the app's available there, or, you know, in, in, in as many of your big markets as possible, make sure that it's translated, you know, localizing the app, localizing the app store presence and just seeing, you know, getting a feel for, you know, are you going to be a very local app or you, do you have a global um, potential? You're really trying to tease out like what are the acquisition channels that are going to work for you and what are the, what are the other levers for growth, you know? And, uh, and probably you want to start doing a little bit more in terms of CRM or customer engagement at this point. Um, and, you know, which, which does also doesn't make sense when, you, when you're super small, but you're sort of building the foundations for, for, for the next phase of growth and, and then leading into the things that which, which are showing promise. Nice. And then we are, we are coming up on time, but um, can you give us a, like a 90 second, two minute uh, quick drill? Um, I think, you know, I, 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 I don't know that that many like massive apps are going to be listening to this podcast. So maybe it's not even quite as relevant anyway. What? Um, David, I think I like to think every app can be a massive app. Every so. app. Yes. <laughs> right. The massive apps of the future. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get to that stage of a headspace, a calm, a visco, you know, what, what is mm -hmm. the stack start to look like there? So when you get to that kind of scale and we're working with folks like, uh, you know, like, uh, like visco, like Blinkist, um, Headspace, you know, folks you mentioned, uh, and, a, and a whole bunch more, uh, some that I'm not allowed to talk about, which I, I wish yeah. I could name drop, but uh, I'll get into trouble. Uh, but some some really big enterprise brands and some household names. Um, and when you're at that kind of scale, you know, when you're doing, oh, oh I can mention Triller. Triller's a good one. I'm going to give them a call out there. They're a customer of ours. Uh, awesome platform. Um, anyway, um, when you're at that scale where you're just seeing like insane acquisition just on a you know that becomes the norm to get like more than a hundred thousand downloads you know like a day um which which we see with some of the apps when you when you're at that kind of scale even incremental gains can be really really meaningful particularly on monetization right so i would say there you really want to then focus on subscription optimization and revenue optimization way more than you would in the earlier stages because you're You've proven you've you've got all the elements in place. You can really then start to scale, and if you can you can increase your you know um, average subscription lifetime by a month, or you can increase your conversion rate even by like you know 
0.1 of a percent on your you know your <laughs> subscription conversion at that scale it's it can be really meaningful right so i think activities which maybe you wouldn't have spent so much time on before maybe you've built out rudimentary stuff for or maybe you have rudimentary tech in place for it's time to start upgrading that stuff and 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 going deep on these topics so things again like you know aso it's more or less you know something which you need to keep doing you know constantly kind of optimizing there to get as many organics in as possible you want to be of course continuing to optimize your your acquisition but i would i would assume at that point you, you've kind of got those things more or less nailed and it's, it's almost like a hygiene factor uh, it's more than a hygiene factor but uh, sorry you said to keep this quick um yeah i'd say <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd say like big focus on retention because you know again it's a slow moving metric but if you can move it even you know tiny five of yeah. percentage point That'll give such compound growth and also like, you know, knock on gains for monetization, work a lot you know, diligently on conversion optimization and starting to sort of segment your user base further to provide more segmented experiences, you know, because you will have those cohorts and that scale where you can start to do really interesting stuff and, and, and lean into AI and personalization to, to really get to that increased relevance in your recommendations and communications. This is when it makes sense to really do A-B testing, right? Because you can hire yeah. a team, yeah. right, to focus on it. You had oh, multiple yeah. data people. You've got engineers. You've got you've got to have an entire growth engineering and experimentation team. Um, and, and that's what you need. You could bring in feature even. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or, yeah, or bring somebody in, right, if you need it in a pinch, you know? So... Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different game. And this is how all these things go, though. It's like you got to... Every incremental compounding something like a business like this like every every the next 10x is always going to just be different it's going to take different tools different mindset there's going to be different um different returns on different actions right and i think uh you know when i talk to people at different stages a lot of times folks get this get this wrong right they 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 think they need you you were mentioning at the beginning andy like just thinking oh we're ready to scale when you're really not right and so it's it, yeah. there is a lot of value in just understanding what is like how what how different 100,000 downloads is from 10,000 from 100 right those are very different numbers all of those like none of those tell me like you're dead, right? It's just a different stage and, and doing the right things at those stages is super important. So I, I, I really like how you break this down into like different phases because I think that's how uh, app developers should be thinking about it. And I think as a, as a summary and, and talking through this with you, Andy's really helped me kind of frame it finally is that when you're early, you take big swings that don't need sophisticated measurement to see the result. You don't need sophisticated yep. A-B testing. You don't need sophisticated analytics. You need to take big swings that, that give you big results, that obvious results. Then as you mm -hmm. grow, you can start taking smaller swings that require a little bit more sophistication. And then as you're like scaling huge, that's when you get into minutia. And too many small apps are getting into the minutia too early. So big swings early, totally. you can take those smaller swings later. Uh, but anyways, as we wrap up, um, we're gonna put in the show notes, um, your Twitter, mobile growth stack, great places to follow. You're constantly sharing amazing uh, uh, content there. Um, anything else you wanted to share with uh, our, our fine uh, cadre of uh, subscription app practitioners? Uh, yeah, actually, I've got a really exciting announcement. Uh, this is the perfect audience for it. Um, at Feature, uh, we're hiring right now for uh, subscription optimization lead. It's a super exciting role. You get to, get to really be in on the ground floor, building out 
uh, a team and, and essentially a, a new PL line that we're kind of breaking out from our existing services. Um, I'm really doubling down on subscriptions because it's like such a big topic. Uh, and we, we, we're really looking for a subscription expert to come in and lead that team. Um, you know, fantastic place to work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, you work with some like AAA clients, uh, some great names that I can't talk about today. Uh, you work with a fantastic team of experts. Um, it, you can come to Berlin and, and work with us here because it's, it's oh, obviously not in Berlin today, but Berlin's an awesome place to move to. We'd also consider remote, I think. Uh, don't quote me on that, but uh, yeah, get in touch. Um, you can find the job spec. You go to the feature site, that's P-H-I-T-U-R-E.com uh, and go to the careers page. You'll find it there under subscription optimization. Um, yeah, we'd love to get that out to your audience because I'm sure there's some people there that might be well, really interested in that role. I'm looking at the requirements here, proficiency in IAP management, you know, it's right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so maybe I'll throw my hat in the ring. Uh, <laughs> well, Andy, it was You're really great having you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, we're going to have to have you back on. There's There was uh, so much more. Uh, and Feature, Feature does such great work. Um, and we have, we share some customers. And so, you know, we see the the results of the work you do on our end. And, and it's really great. Um, so thanks for being on the podcast. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, David. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, it's been a pleasure. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.